So we're in the middle of our series on marriage reflections. And up to now, we've heard about uh, fearing God. That was the first message that, that they brought to us. We talked about being friends, and then Dave and Kel uh, talked then. And then last week was Dave talking about being one. And, and this week, we're going to talk about being a servant. And uh, let me just start by introducing myself. Uh, so my name is Gria Pirigoy Aaron. In Romanian, you would say that as Pizigoy Aron. In the bulletin, it would be completely incorrect. It's neither one of those. Uh, and that is why most children actually call me Mr. P.A. It's just easier. Uh, like, if I was thinking, like, if there was, like, a corner case when developing uh, word processing software, my name should probably be one of the, one of the, the use cases. Uh, so that's me. That's my name. And uh, I have a wife. She's a super wife. Uh, and she said, don't say I'm a super wife, but she is, so I'm going to say it. Uh, and we have five children. And they are ages 2, 3, 11. And I will get this right because it's a, it's a time of the year that it's easy to get right. And there's a 2, a 4, a 9, an 11, and a 13. Uh, so it's, it's easy for me to remember. Uh, I actually fill out these forms sometimes and they say, fill in the birthdays of your children. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, are you kidding me? I'm like, this is actually pretty hard to remember. I get it right most of the time. Um, and so, uh, so this sermon, like, we're actually going to approach it from that, per- from my perspective, like, it's going to be biblical, but, um, but it will be colored by my experiences. And also just the experiences of, of a, of a Bay Area family with a packed schedule. So for better or worse, I'm not saying you should do that. It's just the way it is in, in my life. And, uh, and that's all brought into the, into the marriage. And with that about me, I actually have a story about someone from our congregation that, uh, that I think really sets the stage for what we're going to look at, uh, look at today. And so many of you may know Sharon and Chuck Adam. And, uh, and Sharon, Sharon sent me, I said, hey, are you okay with me sharing this with everyone? And she said, yes. I'm like, all right, we're doing it. Um, so here's a servant story about Chuck. When we were first married, <clears throat> about a month, so newly, newlyweds, starry-eyed, I imagine. Uh, I had a business trip to Mexico. I got terrible food poisoning, throwing up, and the worst stomach issues ever. I ended up in the ER completely dehydrated. Chuck totally cleaned the bathroom of our tiny first apartment. He's such a servant. No complaints, no joking to me. Then he brought me flowers in the ER and served me the next few days while I rested. He's the best hubby ever. P.S. Don't eat the chili relleno. <laughs> I'll trust her on that one. So <clears throat> here's what our approach is going to be today. So today we're going to look at a few things. Um, and before we jump in, I'm going to pray. And, uh, and off we go. Jesus, we thank you for being here. We thank you for being the example that we can follow. And I pray that everyone here would come with a heart of um, humbleness and a heart of self-assessment. And I pray that no one would leave here unchanged for the, for the better. And, and by better, I mean by knowing you more and following you more and being more encouraged in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, we're going to look at Jesus, and, uh, and in particular, he's entitled to have, and he is, a king, he's the king, and worshipped as such, and we're going to look at how he took that high position, 
and didn't demand the things that his position commanded, but rather he came and he served. And so we'll look at who is Jesus, what did he do, what should we do, and then we'll look at some more practical examples. So we'll start with who is Jesus. And I I found this definition, which I love. It's in Wayne, uh, Wayne Grudem's book. And it says, Jesus was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. So that's who Jesus is. And there's a lot of proof for all of that. And we can spend years analyzing it. In fact, we do. That's what, that's what we do in church. Um, but I want, I'm going to, for, for today, what we're going to look at more is focusing more on the God aspect of Jesus to start. Um, because I think that really will help us later on as we talk about being servants. So Jesus is God. There are lots of Bible, lots of verses in the Bible that talk about this. Let me just, I'll just mention one verse and talk about that a little bit. And that is when Jesus himself in John 8, 58 said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said that. And that, with that, he identified himself as to God, when God said to Moses, I am who I am in Exodus 3.14. So this was a claim to complete Godhead, a claim to being God. And, and so you say, well, I mean, Jesus said that. Who are we to, who are we to, to trust what, what Jesus said? Hopefully that's not all going in your mind, but if it is... Um, there's, there's something that C.S. Lewis said which, which, helps, uh, which helps us. And with that, we'll just leave it at, as Jesus is God. And I'll assume that we're on the same page there. Um, but if, you know, if you're discussing with your friends, so Jesus said something like, uh, exactly like, I truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And C.S. Lewis, Lewis says in Mere Christianity, and this is a famous quote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Hmm. That is one thing we must not say. Okay? A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make the choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us, come, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that to open to us. He did not intend to. We're going to go with Jesus as God. And furthermore, he demonstrated God's attributes. And this is, 
this might be basics for some, but it's, it's so important to just sort of reset. Because we say some things like, yeah, Jesus is God, and we should follow his example, and here's what he did. But I just, I just want us to make sure that, I mean, I'm, I'm bringing, just calling all of, all of what that means to mind, or rather a portion of what it means to mind, to, to help later on. So bear with me. And maybe, maybe it's, oh, this is easy. Like, I know that, that quote by heart and so on. That's okay. Some people might not. So, Jesus is God, and he demonstrated God's attributes. And some of those are uh, omnipotence. Omnipotence means you're all-powerful. You can do uh, anything, really, uh, which is uh, he stopped the storm. And, and we see this in his life, right? So, Jesus stopped the storm. Uh, he multiplied loaves and fish. He changed water into wine. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Right, So it was plainly obvious that Jesus was all-powerful. Jesus is also eternal. This is, this is mind-blowing. This is probably the hardest quality for me to grasp. Uh, but what that means is that he has no beginning and no end. Um, and, and we get that from the fact that when he said, before Abraham was, I am. And, uh, and also there are references in Genesis and, and in other places which you can see that Jesus always was. Like, you and I, we, we have a, a clear beginning, right? God, Jesus, doesn't. Like, he just is. Um, that's a good dinner time conversation. Omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. Jesus knew people's thoughts, and others confessed that Jesus knew everything. Jesus is also omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. So after his resurrection, uh, he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. So even here where we're gathered in Jesus' name, Jesus is here with us. There are many other services like this across the world, and people gathered in his name, and he is there too. So Jesus is omnipresent. He is also immortal, okay, which means that he has the power, and he had the power, he has the power to lay his life down and to take it up again. No one took it from him, he gave it freely, and he picked it back up. So to summarize, Jesus is fully God. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, in, in Colossians 2.9. So, we're going to hang everything that we say from here on out on that key Fact. And so what, did, so, so what did Jesus do? With all that power and all those attributes and, he, the, and the fact that he was eternal and uh, so much greater than we could ever think or imagine, what did he do with all of that? Well, one of the things that he did, which we're, gonna, which we're focusing on today, is that he served. Jesus came... And he served. And what does it mean to serve? I looked it up in the dictionary. Very, very simply put, it means to be helpful. So Jesus came and he was of service and he was helpful. And here's an example, a crucial example from Jesus' life. Don't forget all that we've talked about up to now about Jesus. And what does Jesus go and do? Please open to John 13. 
and we're going to go through verses 1 through 15. So John 13 says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this, this part where it says he loved them to the end, that means he loved them to perfection. Like this is how you love. Jesus is showing how you love. Pick it up in verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Over the next few verses, there's, a, there's an exchange between Jesus and Peter, which is an important exchange, but I'll skip it. Um, and, uh, and then pick it up again in verse 12, which, which says, When he, when Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, for you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now, washing feet back then was commonly regarded as an act of reverence, but it was from an inferior to a superior. Um, in one of the commentaries, it says, the dusty and dirty conditions of the region necessitated the need for foot washing. And the disciples most likely would have been happy to wash Jesus' feet, like they understood this concept, that they were inferior to him. But they couldn't even conceive of wash- washing one another's feet much less someone below them. Because in the society of the time, foot washing was reserved for the lowest of, the lo- for the lowest of menial servants. Peers certainly did not wash one another's feet, except very, very rarely and as a mark of great love. So, keep in mind, what we just talked about, who Jesus is, right? He was superior in every way. There's no comparison, right, between Jesus and the disciples that would give this difference justice. And I have a really hard time with, with this, with my finite brain and the English language, right? Like, we talk about, uh, you know, clay and potter, creator and creation, perfect and imperfect. These things can help us get a glimpse but, and put in human words the difference between Jesus and those around him. But still, it's, they're, they're imperfect words. Um, let me, I'm going to try with, with a visual because I think it's kind of fun. Uh, so here, the, that tiny planet there, which is like really big, is Earth. It has a label that says Earth, and that's the sun, right? So, so you have this idea of the difference between the Earth and the sun. Okay, that's, that's pretty big. And remember, Jesus created all of this, right? So in a sense, he's outside and maybe sort of bigger than all of that. Um, 
That's cool. But Jesus also created the whole universe, right? And so now we're going we're gonna to zoom out one more time. And I don't even know that I can see the sun anymore. Like, it's there, though. And here's some other... Some, some of other things, um, planets that, or rather stars that Jesus created, right? So, so we go all the way from Earth to this giant sun, and then the sun is sort of, you know, compared to these other planets, right? So there's this giant difference between the Earth and that, my favorite star, Antares, that I just found out about a few days ago. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but like, So you can think of the difference between Jesus and the disciples as yet greater than the difference between earth and this giant star. Again, these are analogies. They're imperfect. But I just want to picture this giant difference. And what do you do with all that big difference in power? What does Jesus do? Well, he humbled himself and he washed the disciples' So, in verses 12 to 15, if he had so humbled himself as to do the work of a servant for them, what's the the obvious thing? Much more should they humble themselves to each other. Jesus was giving them an example in the principle, not in the act, right? He's not saying, literally go, and the best thing you can do is... um, you know, Ben, I'm going to come over and I'm going to wash your feet. Or, you know, that's just like strange, right? It's in, in our current environment. No, but what, what that's saying is, no, no, no. He's giving them an example to do according to what he has done. That imitation is to be worked out in applying that principle of love and self-sacrificing in all the varying circumstances of life in which we're placed. That is a model of loving humility. And at this point, I want you to start thinking about your own relationship to your spouse and how you can copy what Jesus has done. What's your attitude about serving him or her? And you could say, hey, Gria, like, you don't know my husband. I probably don't. Uh, he's not worthy to be served. Or, you don't know my wife. She's not worthy to be served. Tell me, please, like in comparison to Jesus and the church and, his, and, or, and the disciples, and what does that difference look like when compared to you and your spouse who are one? Big, small. What, what does that look like? And you could say, hey, I don't feel like serving. Like, I just, I just, like, I don't feel, I don't want to do it. I don't feel like it. Regardless of how you feel, okay, if you're a Christian, you are called to serve Christ. And that's what, that's, that's the example that Jesus has left, left for us. In mere Christianity, again, C.S. Lewis says, uh, when talking about love, but we can certainly use service here too, too uh, as a synonym there in, in many cases. He, C.S. Lewis says, Don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. So this applies to service too. Don't worry about whether you feel like it. 
Just do it. And eventually, like, the, the feelings will come around. Oh, I should say this. I'll say it now. It's not the time to elbow your spouse. It's not the time to think, oh, I have these friends. Man, they, it would be great if they heard this message because they don't do this really well. Um, no, no, no. This is a time to do internal self-reflection. This is about you. It's about me. It's not about others. It's about asking Jesus to work on you. And so it's about your relationship to, with Jesus. That's it. So we ask the question, what did Jesus do? And the key truth that you could write down is he served. Jesus served. So, what should we do? That's what he did. What should we do? And by the way, this isn't like super hard. Like, hopefully you get where I'm going, right? Like, well, like we're going to serve. Like, that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, yeah, it's coming up. <laughs> but for, for all that, um, you can go to Philippians 2. And we're going to go, uh, please turn to Philippians 2, verses 3 to 11. And we'll camp out there for a while. And, uh, and it, it goes like this. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's so much there. Okay, those verses, there's, there's so much there. I'm going to touch on a few though. Um, if you look at verse 3, count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. Does this apply to your spouse? Do you count them as more significant than yourselves? Like, is this how you truly feel? Or rather, is this how you act? I would ask that you answer this, that in your own heart right now. Do you count your spouse as more significant than yourself? Not your friends, not your parents, not your children, your spouse. And based on this, should you? In verse 4, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I love this. So, okay, you walk through the door, and, and, and this can apply to either gender, right? So, um, so you walk through the door, and you want to do something. Right? Who has walked through the door of their house and wanted to do something? Okay, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah, lots, 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 lots. And the rest of you are just like, should I raise my hand in church? Like, I'm not sure. Uh, yes, it's okay. So you walk through the door, you want to do something, but your spouse wants you to do something else. Hmm. What do you do? Uh, and by the way, this applies regardless of life stage, right? Young married, young children, older children, empty nesters, right? Uh, or maybe, okay, maybe you're the one at home, and your spouse walks through the door, and you want him or her to do something, uh, but you know he would like to do something else, right? You kind of, you have different agendas. What do you do? Okay? Just smiles. I know. 
I know. So this verse is really clear, right? Like, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And our spouses in this category, absolutely. Uh, and even though some, by the way, and this is actually, I should have taken a breath. This is actually sad. Um, spouses are absolutely in this category, but sometimes we treat them much worse. Because we're used to it, we've been married for a long time, or whatever the reason. Man, that, that should not be the case. And with that, let me also say, uh, if you have a non-believing spouse, does this still apply? Absolutely. This is not about your spouse. This is about you. All of this is about you and me, personally. So none of this changes with a non-believing spouse. And in verses 6 through 8, looking back at the passage, Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing and died on the cross for those who were not comparable to his status as God. This is the crux of the passage. There's nothing more humble that he could have done. He took the form of a servant, and that's how he showed us how to be. So, Jesus, if I had a really long arm, I would keep stretching it, right? Jesus took the form of a servant. He was then further humbled and persecuted and made to suffer from unbelievers. This is mind-blowing, right? From unbelievers. Furthermore, he allowed them to crucify him and to kill him in the worst and most demeaning way possible. From Godhead to on a cross. And Jesus did it willingly. So let's be, uh, let's be theoretical for a second, okay? When it comes to applying this passage to our lives. I could say, <clears throat> or you could say, hey... I would die for my wife or for my husband. I, I, would, like, I would totally do that. That's, that's great. You know, that's really selfless of you. And I say that with a little bit of irony because what are the chances that in today's world, in San Jose, in our church, and in where we live, that you ever ask to die like physically for your spouse? What are the chances? Like practically zero. But, do you love your spouse enough to do the dishes? Do you? Like, it's, uh, you get home, dishes are not done, dinner hasn't been started, you've had a hard day. What do you do? Do you jump in to help? Or do you sort of mope around and like unexpected, like, oh, he or she didn't do what she, he or she was supposed to do. Let me go even deeper than this. Let's say that you are come home, all these things aren't done, and like, all right, I'm going to jump in to help. Awesome. That is great. And I mean that. I don't say that in a joking way. That is great. But what is it that you jump in to help with? Do you pick sort of the easiest thing for you 
Or do you pick the, the thing that your spouse would desire for you to do? In my case, let's say when it happens, sometimes, not a lot because Jamie's a super wife, like I said in the beginning. But let's say I come home, children are screaming in one place, dishes aren't done, dinner hasn't been started. Great. The easiest thing for me to do is probably to go and do the dishes. Because I don't have anyone sort of clamoring up in my space, and it's just like, and I can still sort of recharge. The easiest thing for Jamie would be if I took care of the screaming children, so she can do all that, because hey, they've had an insane day, and that's why some of the other stuff isn't done. Which one do I do? Now I think, like, we're starting to peel away the layers, right, and get to the heart. And remember, who are you ultimately serving by serving your husband or your wife? You're serving Jesus. You're following him 100%. Remember? It's this giant difference between Jesus and us. Like, that's who we're following. And you show a watching world what it means to be a Christian. So the key practice, what should we do? Man, we follow Jesus' example of service in this case. But in general, like you follow Jesus' example. All right, let's do some more practical examples. And, uh, and I'll do something for my own life. First, I need to play rock, paper, scissors with someone that is, I was going to say under 16. Eli put up his hand right before, you know how to play rock, paper, scissors? So we're going to do rock, paper, scissors on, like after I say scissors, then we go, okay? Because it's always tricky. All right, ready? Rock, paper, scissors, go. Oh, I win, right? Okay, that's actually a really good example. And, and I, will, I will tell you why. I will tell you why. But like, everyone, give a hand to Eli, because he did like really good. It turns out, you don't need a lot of, like, it's not because I'm older that I won, it's because I'm lucky that I won. Okay, so, uh, so what does rock, paper, scissors have to do with diapers? What, what is that? that that's, that's really weird, Grant. What are you taking, what are you saying? Uh, so, uh, so Jamie and I actually, um, it, you know, we're both tired. Diaper needs to be changed. We're like, who does it? All right, rock, paper, scissors time. Right? And then <laughs> winner sort of wins and doesn't have to do it. Um, but for my life, what I've done lately, what we've done lately, and this is uh, sort of in the best of times, I know that no matter what, no matter who wins, I'm just going to say, look, Jamie, I, I got this. Like, we're playing for fun, and that's amazing. That's great. We're having a good time. But even if I win that means I'm going to go change the diaper. And if I lose, that means I'm going to go change the diaper. Um, it's just a way for me to serve my wife. And I think, man, if it's unpleasant for me to do it, why would it be more pleasant for Jamie? Like, she somehow hasn't, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing. And by the way, we have changed. So with five children, I did some quick math. Five children, three years each, roughly four diapers a day. You kind of do the math. 22,000 diapers that we've changed. That's a lot of diapers, right? Like, I think like, I will take on most, most anyone on this side of the room in a diaper changing, <laughs> in a, in a, in a diaper changing competition, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, like, it's a silly example, but like, it shows, I think, in my best of times, the right attitude towards our wives. Like, if you don't want to do it, why would she? Like, why would she somehow want to do it, and vice versa? And as we, 
As we jump into more of these practical examples, I want you to keep one key verse in mind. That is Ephesians 5.21 that says that calls us to submit one another to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everything that follows in Ephesians on marriage starts from that verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here are some of my favorite, some of my favorite examples. One, it starts with, do I have that? Yeah, diapers. Yes, it does start with diapers. But it also starts with communication. So, okay. You may not know how to serve, uh, how to serve your husband or wife. Okay? Jesus is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He's all these things. You're not. Okay? So, and I'm not. And so you may not know how to do that. What is a great way? Start by asking. How can I best serve you today or right now? And spouse, catch this, and this is important, answer. Because there can be a tendency of you know, hurt or many things that, that you, you don't answer truthfully. Please, and, and could, by the way, it could be a different answer every day. Please don't assume that your spouse is a mind reader. Uh, <laughs> if he cared about me, he would really know. No, like, he probably has no clue. Like, like really. Like, he, he really doesn't, right? Uh, he's, like, daydreaming about, like, how, like, hmm, how long does it take paint to dry, I wonder. Right? Like, it's, it's just... Uh, and, and likewise, husband, don't presume to know that your wife knows. Just, just, just don't do it. Just talk about it. Uh, Jamie and I, in our sort of in the beginning of our marriage, especially, uh, really learned this. Right? Um, like I have, I have no concept of subtlety or a hint or whatever. No, like it's just, you know. So no hints are gonna work on me. Uh, so, you, so you really have to tell me, or you just have to be like happy with a very blissfully ignorant husband. Like everything is great. Uh, so, uh, and by the way, I'm guessing that I'm not the only one here that can read their spouse's mind. Okay? I've gotten better, by the way. Like, we've been married 17 years. I've gotten a little bit better. But I'm still a ways from doing that. So please, like, I'm, like, I'm not PhD in Jamie's mind reading status. And I, I imagine you aren't either in your, you know, with, your, with your spouse. <clears throat> Communication. Do it. Talk about it. Um, intimacy. Dave, uh, Dave had a whole sermon about this uh, last week, but I will, I will just say uh, that as an area uh, for serving one another, this is a really good one. And uh, especially, too, in those times where, you know, spouses in marriage have sort of different windows for desire and those kinds of things, um, as Dave said, this isn't a uh, this isn't a thermostat, but rather a thermometer of your of your marriage. And it's not, uh, and what it shows, what that thermometer shows, is ultimately your relationship to Jesus Christ. Think about that. It all goes back to Jesus. Don't miss this. Ah. Children in that area. So for those that have children or have had children could, could relate, those that will have children, um, let's say that you decide, hey, it's important for the, let's say, the father to take out the children on dates. 
That's great. Like that, that is a really good thing to do. But if you do that, right? So you, you take one child out, you're leaving whatever other responsibilities are happening at home for the other spouse to do. Keep that in mind, right? Talk to one another. Like, is that okay? Look, it's, it's often a service on both, on both sides. Um, not just, not just the one. And so as, you know, so in that area, the area of children, like there's a great opportunity to serve one another. It also means that when you serve in church, um, keep your spouse in mind. Because again, they're taking on the responsibilities of what's not happening when you're off and doing something that is happening, uh, something that is, that is elsewhere. And, uh, so for example, like I'm preaching today, it's not something I usually do. Um, but for me to commit to doing this, I needed Jamie to be committed for me to do it because overnights and weekends and so on, like I spend time preparing, um, which means that Jamie has to take on some things that I usually might. Moreover, and Jamie doesn't, I'm going to say this, but I will, which is, uh, it was Jamie's birthday last week on Thursday, and uh, that's, that's great, she's you know, 28 again, and, uh, and, and I was like, honey, for your birthday... Get this, you're going to hear me preach, like a rough draft, it's not going to be great, but you're going to give me lots of feedback on it, and you, it's going to be, you know, and that's what we did, like that was Jamie's birthday, right? So, so that's like an act of service, in order for me to be able to stand up here, um, it, it, like Jamie is here with me, you know, not physically, but like it was, I couldn't do this without her. For the longest time, another example, for the longest time, I thought that my wife had the harder job at home, and I, I thought for many, many years. In the last, I don't know, year or two, um, I actually think that's, and, and this may sound surprising or whatever, but I actually think that that has evened out over, in a certain, in a, in a certain way. Um, just, you know, as far as the difficulty of what we both do. Uh, but, but service hasn't changed. All I'm saying is, like, serving one another when we're home, the way it looks has changed, but the fact that we're serving one another hasn't. And so you might, in a certain period of your life, be able to do a certain amount of things. In other areas, you might need to adjust. Um, and that's okay. But with, with all that, please don't get me wrong. Like, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's a scoreboard Right, that has to be even at the end of the day, and it's like, well, okay, like we add up the stress that you had at work plus what you did at home, and that's you know a five, and then I had a seven. No, no, no. All I'm saying is that service to one another can differ depending on the day and on the life stage, but you have to but keep serving one another and, and talk through it all. And finally, I'll say this: um, you know, there's a book on the five love languages that can help a little bit, right? Like we each sort of. Uh, give and receive love, perhaps in likely uh, in different ways. Um, but in general, like just know and talk to your wife about their needs and desires. Um, and 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 if they don't reciprocate, right? If if you all of a sudden become this great servant, and your spouse doesn't change, do you stop? No, you follow Christ's example. And you serve anyway. Ultimately, we need 
Christ to fulfill our calling. Uh, two weeks ago, Cal referred to this passage. I'm, I'm going I'm to close with it in, in a bit. But it says that the passage is this. It says, no, it's from Mark 2, 21 to 22. You don't have to turn there. Um, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wineskins into old, new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So here, Jesus offers two parables to show the new and internal gospel of repentance, and how that gospel of repentance and from forgiveness of sin can be connected in the old and external traditions of self-righteousness and ritual. You're not doing this by self-righteousness or by ritual. And just so you know, like new cloth that hadn't yet shrunk, if you were to put that, put that on a patch of older clothing, a clothing that would have already stretched and become more brittle, the new patch would start to shrink, but in doing that, it would break the old skin that was already brittle. And, and therefore, the wine would burst. And, and, you, and, you, and, you, and you couldn't do that. That's what the example was getting at. So what we're talking about here, like what we're talking about here cannot be done in a way that pleases God and to the extent that Jesus is calling us unless you know Jesus directly. You need a complete makeover, not a patch on an old suit. Complete makeover. So if you're not sure how to, how to get started with that, come talk to us. Come talk to me, elders, pastors, um, many others here. And so if you're having a particularly hard time with this aspect of your marriage relationship, do at least two things. And this applies to, um, uh, to people that aren't yet married too in, in getting ready for this. One, Assess your relationship to Jesus and run back to him. Ask for strength and humility to be the spouse and servant he's called you to be. But you know what? While you wait and kind of as you keep working things out with Jesus, serve your spouse anyway. You have been called to do that and you will be blessed because of it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are Lord um, with attributes and qualities that are far beyond what our um, minds can grasp and understand. We do thank you that you've communicated them to us because we could not have reached the other way. Uh, and so, Lord Jesus, we pray that as husbands and as wives and as Christians, we would follow your examples, Lord, your example, uh, and serve one another, serve one another well, that a watching world can look and see um, what a Christian is, uh, is about and, how, um, and what it means to glorify and honor you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.